Well, I'm excited to share with you today. We've had a lot in our service, so I'm going to have to move fast today. But I do have notes for you that are available after the service for those who would, who would like to, to get them. They'll be at the resource table in the back. We've been talking about how the world's going to end, doomsday, and we're not doing it to be sensational. We're doing it to remind ourselves that we're living our life for the life to come. This life is going to come to an end one day. This world, as we know, it's going to come to an end one day. And also, we're studying this so that you can speak intelligently from a biblical perspective about how the world's going to end. If you ever find around, your friends are talking, and they start talking about the end of the world, you can smile and you can say, let me tell you how the end of the world's really going to happen. Now, I don't have time to repeat everything we've studied in the last five weeks. This is the sixth week of the series. We've got a couple more to go. But we've been talking about lately that a year, a seven-year period of horrible tribulation is coming to earth. It is on its way. And these seven years are going to be characterized by suffering that, that's untold, unimaginable. Isaiah described it in Isaiah 13, even in the Old Testament times. He said, see, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for its sin. God is going to judge sin one day. We live in a day of grace and we need to thank him every day for that. But we do not need to, to presume that God will not one day act against sin because he's going to. This intense seven-year period of suffering comes from two primary sources, the outpouring of God's wrath, and we've spent several weeks talking about that. We see that happening and described in the final book of the Bible, the book of the Revelation, that was given to John, one of Jesus' original 12 disciples. God sent an angel to him, and he showed him how all this is going to end, how life as we know it is going to end. And so we saw that God metaphorically speaks through several different kinds and series of judgments. We saw seal judgments. One of the seal judgments, a quarter of Earth's population dies. Today, by today's standards, that would be 1.75 billion people die just because of one of these judgments. Then we saw seven trumpet judgments, and these are the third judgments. Things like a third of the world's vegetation is destroyed, a third of marine life dies, a third of the fresh, uh, fresh water supply is, is bittered and poisoned. And so these are going to be horrible, horrible, horrible times. When the seventh trumpet sounds, we saw five bold judgments going to begin pouring out on the earth. And remember, these are going to come in increasing frequency, these, these judgments of God, and with greater intensity with each single one. Now, we stopped after the five bowls because last week I needed to share another source of all this suffering, and that's the ruler who will come. And we described last week that that will be the beast coming out of the sea, or as we theologically have named him, the Antichrist. And the Antichrist is first is going to come, going to seem like this charismatic political leader that's going to bring the world together. He'll establish a covenant with the world. He'll bring some meaning to all the chaos that's happening, and people around the world will follow his leadership. Talk about a global community. It is coming, but it's not what people are going to expect. At the halfway point of the seven-year period, he's going to turn in his character. And also, he's going to be joined by someone in the Bible called the false prophet. And they're going to turn and show their true colors, and they will make the inhabitants of the earth who have survived these acts of God's wrath up to this time, they will make them worship 
the Antichrist as their God. Make image of it. Anyone who doesn't, they will destroy. They'll make everyone get the mark of the Antichrist, which is 666. And without that mark on their forehead or on their hand, they're not going to be able to buy anything. They're not going to be able to sell anything. And remember, by this time, the life-sustaining resources on the planet have really dwindled alarmingly. There's not much food left. There's not much fresh water left. And for you to get any part of it, you've got to have this mark, and you've got to worship this leader. Daniel prophesied about him in Daniel 11, said, The king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed, for what has been determined must take place. So it's going to be a horrible, horrible time. Of these times, Jesus said in Matthew 24, For there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world unto now, and never to be equaled again. In fact, Jesus said, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. Now, we left off with the question last week, well, how will these days be cut short? How are they going to be cut short? Well, let's answer that. To do that, we got to go back to those five bold judgments and look at the sixth and the seventh bold judgment. The sixth one is in Revelation chapter 16, verse 12. Then I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, that's Satan, out of the mouth of the beast, that's the Antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are demons performing miraculous signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. Then they will, be ga- they will gather the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. It's a place that really is the valley of Megiddo, about 60 miles north of Jerusalem. So this sixth bowl judgment is the Antichrist and the beast and Satan gathering all the armies of the world, the one place, to make war. Now make war against what? Hold that thought. Then God has his final finale. You ever been to a fireworks show? You enjoy the fireworks and they're going, and at the end they have the what? The grand finale. Well, this is the grand finale of God pouring his wrath out on the earth, this seventh bowl. And the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is what? It's done. It's finished. I'm bringing an end to all this. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since man has been on earth. So tremendous was this great. Notice how John, he's, we've already seen a horrible earthquake as part of some of the other judgments. And he said, that was nothing. John's trying to process all this. And he, he says, nothing like this has ever happened. How bad was it? Well, the great city was split into three points, spots, uh, parts. That's Jerusalem. Jerusalem is split into three parts. Interesting. Is it interesting how today in our contemporary times and for a long time, there have been three competing forces for Jerusalem? There have been Jewish people, there have been Christians, and there have been Muslims. It's like God said, you all want a part? I'm going to give you a part right now. It said every island fled away and the mountains could not be found. With this earthquake, the topography of the earth as we know it now will be radically changed. It won't look like anything like it looks now. Goes on to say, from the sky, huge hailstones of about a hundred pounds each fell upon men. And they cursed God on account of the plague of the hail, because the plague was what? 
So terrible. So this is the grand finale. The earth is shaking. The mountains are being moved. The islands are being displaced. Hailstones, 100 pounds are falling down on the earth. This is the grand finale of God's wrath. But how are these horrible days cut short? Well, remember, we saw in that sixth bowl that Satan, the Antichrist, had gathered all the armies of all the kingdoms of earth, Armageddon, to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. What is that battle? That's the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's what they're describing there, the second coming of Christ. I love this passage in the Bible, Revelation chapter 19, beginning of verse 11. John, again, he's processing all this that he's seen all these different seals, these trumpets, these bulls, and now he sees heaven open up. And he says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. Now, come on, who are we talking about? We're talking about Jesus. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written. Read it with me. King of kings and Lord of lords. What is it? King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in mid-ear, come gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and mighty men, of horses and the riders, of the flesh of all people, free and slave, small and great. God calls to the birds and the angel says, you come on, you come on, you're going to have a buffet like you've never had before. Then I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his armies. But the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. All the armies, all the battles, all these things are going to make war against Jesus Christ and the armies of heaven. But it's not even a skirmish. Jesus takes care of it. Jesus judges it. Goodbye, Antichrist. Goodbye, false prophet. Goodbye, wicked kings of the earth. Game over. Jesus wins. You mark that down. But wait. Wait a minute. What's this? Revelation 20, verse 1. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key of the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who was the devil, Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked this and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. Now, now wait a minute. What, what, what's this? What, what's this? I mean, what does John mean that Satan is only going to be bound 
for a thousand years. This isn't the end of Satan. See you next week. <laughs> but first, but first, how will these days be cut short? We well, said, well, the second coming of Christ. You just taught us. Yes, but there's a better option for us. How many of you like a better option than living through these days, huh? Well, you have one. You have a better option. You remember, and here's the option. Don't be living on planet Earth when these things happen. That's a better option, right? You know, don't be here. You say, well, yeah, well, ah, oh, duh. Do you know that it's possible to seal that right now? Remember I told you three important signs will signify the restarting of Israel's prophetic clock? The ruler who will come. The outpouring of God's wrath. But what's the third one? The third one is the rapture. Now that's a theological term, a theological term you'll never find anywhere in the Bible. But it's a term that Bible scholars use to describe an amazing event. In fact, this event will precede the other two signs. This will be the first sign. Paul talks about it to the Thessalonians, knowing this, that God always makes provision for his family. Do you know that? God always makes provision for his family and all this horrible stuff. He said, but not my family. Now, how do you get to be God's family? John 1.12 tells us, yet to as many as received him, Jesus, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. See, when we trust Jesus as our Savior, we're not just, we don't have a religious experience. We have a relational experience. God adopts us. And because we're his family members, God makes provision for us. Paul wrote about it to the Thess Thessalonians in his first letter to the Thessalonians. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with, him, bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Now, let me set the background for you from this passage. The believers in Thessalonica, they're, they're really experiencing a lot of anxiety because Jesus hasn't come back yet. And yet some of their loved ones and some of their friends have already died. And they're fearing that because their loved ones and friends have already died, that they're going to miss out on eternity with Jesus and because they preceded his return. So the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write this encouragement to him. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 15. According to the Lord's own words, he says, now I'm not making this up, Paul says, according to the Lord's own words, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. He said, don't worry about it. God takes care of his family. God takes care of the living, and God takes care of the dead. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, this isn't the second coming. The second coming is when he comes back with the armies of heaven. This is before those seven years begin. Matter of fact, it's the first sign that those final seven years, that clock has started re-ticking. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. See, what is going to happen? He's going to come back. He's not going to come back to earth. He's going to come back to the atmosphere. 
And, and scripture says the trumpet will sound. It, it's a military term of, of assembling the, the family. This is the time the ecclesia, the church. And instantaneously, believers all over the world will be in a flash transported out of this life. The dead will rise first, and then those who are alive at that time will immediately follow them and will be caught up to be with the Lord and will never be separated from him again. Jesus talked about it in Matthew 24, verses 40 through 42. Jesus said, two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. In other words, one will be a believer, one will be an unbeliever. Anywhere you are, that's going to happen all over the world. Millions and millions and millions of, of believing men and women will be transported out. It'll be caught up. They'll be gone. Graves will be open all over the place. It, it'll be the first thing that starts chaos in the world. And that's why the world will be so ready for this leader riding out the first seal on the white horse to bring stability to the chaos in the world. But look what Jesus says, therefore keep watch because you don't know on what day your Lord will come. We don't know when that's going to happen. You, you got to be ready before it happens. You, you can't wait. Jesus, when he was here, said the angels don't know when it's going to happen. Jesus said, as a matter of fact, I don't even know when it's going to happen. The only one that knows is God the Father. And so Jesus says, listen to me. He says, there's a way out. There's a better option than going through these horrible times if you happen to be misfortune to be living when those times start. Will you be left behind? That's the million-dollar question this morning. Will you be left behind? Jesus in John 14, 6 said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus made it very clear. He said, he is the only way. Followed up in, in the book of Acts 4.12. Salvation is found in, read it with me, no one else. Who? No one else. For there is no name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. There's only one way. Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that anyone can boast. Do you realize that every other world religion out there today is based on a works salvation? Somehow you have to live a good enough life. Somehow you have to appease whatever God or whatever force is out there. But Jesus said, that's not true. Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And you can't earn it. You can only receive it through faith because it's not something we earn. It's something God gives as a gift of his love. How we receive it, Paul tells us in Romans 10.9, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen. You will be saved. Why? Because you'll be adopted into his family. And God always makes special provisions for his own family. 
I love what the author of Hebrews said in Hebrews 7, 24 and 25. Because Jesus lives forever, isn't that great? Jesus lives forever. He has a permanent priesthood. In other words, nothing's gonna change. It's all been decided. Therefore, he is able to save how much? He's able to save what? What? Completely those who go to God through him because he is always lives to intercede for them. Don't you love that? You know, Satan is the great accuser, the Bible says. And you know what Satan does constantly? He goes before God and he brings accusations against members of God's family. Because the truth of the matter is, even we in the family don't live the kind of lives we want to live and we ought to live. Let me ask you here, who here who has trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior has never sinned again after that day? Well, thanks for your honesty. I join you in that one. And see, Satan used that. He says, he says, George, he's a sinner. He talks to me, but he's, he's, a, he's a sinner. Viola, she, she, she's worse than he is. <laughs> but Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. And he, says, he says, not true, Father. They're family members covered by the blood. Amen. Covered by the blood. See? Oh, listen, if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, don't leave this campus in that condition. What do you got to do? You'll confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You will be what? Saved. You will be what? Saved. Saved. Yeah. I hope you'll do that. If you need help, come and see me. Any of the pastors in these red shirts, go, go to the next step booth. Or at least pick up one of these little blue books on your way out that says you can be sure. And this little blue book is available free at the, at the guest services booth or in the literature rack. And it will reveal to you everything scripture has told us about how our sins can be forgiven and heaven will be our home. Next week, peace and deception. I hope you'll be back. Remember, notes are available. Remember our tithes and our offerings. Two weeks from today, I'm going to give you a financial report as part of our service. It won't be a long one. You know, we don't do a long, drawn-out thing with that. But just bring you up to date on where the Lord has allowed us to be right now. Amen? God, thank you for who you are. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the opportunity to be here. Thank you that you love your family and you make special provisions for us. God, thank you that we don't have to fear this horrible stuff that's going to happen at some unknown time, but I believe it's going to happen sooner than later, God. And we just praise your name that we don't have to be a part. Lord, receive our gifts as we give them today as gifts of our love and our affection and our willingness to support your work here on earth, the gospel being spread through this church, through our community and the world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.